Tennessee Valley, this is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Coal miners are still on strike. Socialists raise thousands for their strike fund while Republicans tell them to kiss the boss's ass. Bosses steal billions every year, but Al Sharpton is worried about 10 steaks being stolen from a grocery store. The Alabama House passes an anti-speech bill last week, and we are planning to speak to the bill's author, but uh, he's not in the Zoom yet, so... We'll see how that goes. (laughs) We've got more than that on today's Valley Labor Report, so you'll want to stay tuned. If you want to be part of the program today, we've got a phone number. We've got a phone number. You can call 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week, and we got one last week, so we're going to be answering it on today's show. So that's always an option. If you listen to us... As a podcast, you know, you can leave us a voicemail. That's always an option. Uh, If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap our hour here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. We're everywhere you can find anything, (laughs) all at The Valley Labor Report. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, all those places, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So your support really does help. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program or make a one-time donation, you can go to Unionly. Dot io slash o slash tvlr or patreon.com slash the valley labor report we've also got a new hat we just dropped yesterday a new hat adam can you show the people on the stream what the hat looks like for everybody that's just listening to us on audio it's a it's a trucker hat we love trucker hats and it's got a patch on the front of it that set that's like a graph and unions are the x-axis and good things are the y-axis so as we have more unions we have more good things and you'll be telling everybody that if you buy that hat uh you can um there's an option there for if you're local you can just meet us somewhere and you won't have to pay for shipping and that'll only be like 29.97 or something like that you know less than 30 dollars um and we'll just drop it off to you if you're local, if you're not local, 
and you do need it to be shipped, then uh, you can you can buy the option that has shipping included. So, you know, those are. Uh, 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 I think it's a really cool hat. The artwork was done by Tabitha Arnold. She is a Philadelphia artist, and we've got more things that are going to be popping up in our store later um, by her. So really, really excited about that. Um, If you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show as well. You can reach out to me for more details on that. Uh, So, Adam, have we got uh, State Representative Treadaway in the Zoom? I'm not hearing you. I think you muted your mic. I'm checking. I do not see the representative in the chat. Oh, um, man. He's not in the Zoom? He's not in the Zoom. Oh, man. I just confirmed with him like two days ago, like on Thursday evening, and he said he was good to do, and he said he was good to like check in at 925 to do an AV check. So I don't know if he, uh, I don't know. Maybe he just slept in, or maybe he, maybe he Googled us. Maybe uh, he Googled us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll keep my eyes peeled. Hopefully yeah. the representative would join us because I really would like to chat with him. I know you've got some great questions to ask, so uh, hopefully he will be joining us shortly. But yeah, well, we'll see. yeah, well, so you know, we we have been we've been tracking this legislation for the last couple of weeks. We've been sounding the the alarm on it, and it's uh, we think it's very bad. We are not apologetic about thinking that it's bad. But, um, but you know, we always the the door is open to anybody that wants to come on the show and defend their positions, and and um, we appreciated his willingness to come on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure what happened, but he's not on right now. So, um, so Adam, you, you know, can you kind of you know you you were a former history teacher, and you still like that's still definitely in your blood. Can you kind of help uh, help help us contextualize? this bill while we wait potentially for the representative to join the line sure yeah i'd be happy to do that uh you know thinking about this bill and especially after i saw that you had secured the legislator which i hope you know still happens and you know it's interesting to talk to the author of a bill like this especially a bill that we've been so adamantly opposed to um but really my my biggest question to start with is if we're being honest, is this bill really for everybody? You know, is, is this something that is aimed at all people of Alabama or just some kind of folks? Mm-hmm. Are we supposed to believe that cops and prosecutors and judges across the state of Alabama are going to enforce this bill equally across all types of people? Now, you know, I'm still a fairly young man. Uh not as young as I look, maybe, but uh, I have a hard time believing that. I'm sorry. I have a hard time believing that this is for everybody. And, um, you know, I just, this is one of those pieces of legislation where you have to ask is this really going to solve more than it causes problems? Like, I mean, are the solutions that are in this bill actually going to be better than the problems that come out of it? And, and unfortunately, in Alabama's legislature, that's so often the case, uh, especially with these hot topic bills that go through every session, certainly on an election year session like 2022. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned I'm a former history educator. I think history is important. 
hot take. I know. Uh, but uh, I think history is important. I think it helps to put ourselves in context and the issues we're dealing with in context. I think it helps to know the past so that you can understand the present and uh, understand our possible futures. So with all that said, you know, as Alabama looks to advance this anti-riot bill, quote unquote, you know, I started thinking about riots in Alabama. What have, what are the riots that have taken place in Alabama? And most of what you could call riots in the history of our state were at the hands of racist lynch mobs, mm-hmm. the Klan, other white supremacist forces uh, of all stripes, uh, to include those in law enforcement themselves. And, you know, I, I'm talking about events like the election massacre in Eufaula back during Reconstruction in 1874, thinking about the Birmingham riot in 1963, and on and on and on. Um, throughout Alabama history, we've also seen company thugs and other violence with company thugs and their allies and accomplices in law enforcement seeking to violently crush workers for even trying to build a labor movement here in this state. You know, I'm thinking about Gadsden, Alabama, some of the violence that we saw in Gadsden, Alabama uh, especially back in the early 30s during that massive organizing wave and the massive uh, strike wave that we saw across textile mills and industries all over the country. You know, it, it was right here in our backyard as well. And the company thugs, their allies and law enforcement and the authorities, they used violence to try to keep out the unions. They used violence to try to prevent integration in the unions. Um you know, so I've been thinking about that. And, of course, those tactics were then later used on the civil rights activists and organizers in Gadsden throughout the years that followed. Even Huntsville. Right here, we're broadcasting from Huntsville. You know, if we want to think about Huntsville's riot police, the riot police in Huntsville was actually debuted against striking rubber workers in 1994, the same riot police that we've discussed in June 2020. So, you know, if we bring it forward, we know that the Black Lives Matter protest that took off in 2020 after the police execution of George Floyd became the largest protest movement in our history. And we're talking incredibly diverse crowds across 50 states, all 50 states, uh, small communities to the biggest cities. And we know that You know, underneath all the rhetoric and some of the hysteric news coverage, uh, particularly on the right of these demonstrations, they were remarkably peaceful and demonstrably peaceful. You can you can go you could do you Google it for yourself if you don't believe me. Uh, Overwhelmingly peaceful, especially considering the amount of human beings involved and Mm -hmm. the issues at stake here literal life and death issues at stake. Um, now, and, you know, and common sense tells you if you get enough people together, well, there's a bound to be at least one jackass in any crowd big enough, right? I mean, that's just inevitable. Um, but these demonstrations, which obviously this bill and others like it in state after state have been in response largely to this uprising, this interracial uprising against criminal injustice and police violence, uh, 
So in the cases where there was violence with these protests, which, again, is the like obsessive focus of some folks on the right, in many of those cases, it was far right instigators or the law enforcement themselves who escalated the situation or who instigated the violence. Um, that's just that's reality. Far right provocateurs. And if you look at what we know based on the history of this country, the history of every major social movement in this country, we know how the governments respond. So we can safely assume that at least some of these folks out here causing problems at these demonstrations are themselves government agents or criminal informants. Now, that's not me being a wild conspiracy person. That's just me paying attention to the history of every social movement in this country. That's why history is important, to provide this context. So, And we also know, and something that, uh, Jacob, you've done a great job really keeping in the forefront, we know how the state forces use what they already have before this bill is even enacted, and hopefully it will not be enacted, but... We see how they're already responding to our brothers and sisters down in Brookwood on the picket line. Yeah. We've seen how this county judge can issue injunctions against the striking minors down there to restrict their First Amendment rights while the authorities turn a blind eye to the violence in tactics and, and misbehavior of scabs and people uh, uh, aligned with the bosses and in some cases bosses themselves. You know, and, and I appreciate your, your reporting on that. And something we've also discussed is in this bill, it, of course, takes a uh, mandatory holding time. Well, in the state of Alabama, you know, that is no joke. Right. We are talking about Alabama's jails and prisons are notoriously unsafe. They are so unsafe that our federal government, the same government that presides over the highest incarceration rate on planet Earth, even they say Alabama's a bridge too far. Even they're like, wait, hold on. Y'all's system of jails and prisons is pretty messed up. You're going to have to do something or we'll have to take it over ourselves. So that's how damn bad these are. It's not just a routine, uh, you know, visit. When right. you go in... I mean, I, I think we can't say it enough that a 24- or 48-hour hold in a jail in Alabama can ruin your life, and it might just end your life. That's not a weapon to be used against people lightly, especially when they are trying to exercise their rights under the Constitution and, frankly, their human rights just by virtue of being on this planet with all of us, uh, along with for this ride with all of us. So... Again, and you think about Huntsville. We've, we've talked about this as well. In Huntsville, the June 2020 protest that took place here, to the extent that there was any riot, quote-unquote, it was at the hands of the police. It was the police who rioted, not the people. The people were peaceful. And, and I'm sorry, but you're never going to convince me that because some folks in a crowded, chaotic situation didn't immediately run to their cars when given a curfew that they may or may not have heard, that that is somehow 
you know, a carte blanche excuse to then start tear gassing people. I'm never going to accept that. And, and it's it's wild that folks who fly don't tread on me flags and uh, praise small government can defend that. Yep. So that you know that's that experience in Huntsville definitely you know colors my perception of this bill. Uh, and and again, that's not just my opinion about what happened in June 2020 in Huntsville. There's very clear, extensive reporting, and there's evidence from the city's own investigation their own independent investigation however toothless it might have been it it very much confirmed what we discussed on this show uh, and what so many other activists in the community have pointed out about what really went down in those events so now i know representative treadway is a you know retired police from birmingham and he has brought up birmingham's uh experiences with those protests as, as his rationale for this legislation but, I mean, let's look at it. Even, even this so-called riot in Birmingham during 2020 protest. Yes, I mean, there were some incidents where it got out of hand. It got ugly. There were a few, you know, knuckleheads, uh, as you can get with any crowd. But there were some folks who got rowdy. There was some property damage. That is true. That's true. But... Now, weigh that against the routine gun violence and violent crime that happens every year in Birmingham Mm -hmm. that's not connected to any movement. It's just that's a fact of life. It looks pretty tame when you when you think of it that way. The fact that, yeah, some idiots uh, broke some windows, tried to rob some stuff. Okay, there are folks trying to rob stuff every day in this state. It's not necessarily political. And it also looks tame compared to the long, ugly history in Alabama of white supremacist violence and anti-union violence directed against ordinary people, everyday people like us, uh, and the types of folks who are on the receiving end of these bills. So, again, I I say all that to try to put it in context because that's how I'm thinking about it and having said all that I I can't help but ask okay again is this really for everybody Uh, because I'd like them just to come right out and say what they really mean Um, because I think we can reach our conclusions here but you're not going to convince me that the cops and prosecutors and judges of this state are going to be using this law against wealthy, powerful folks in the same way they'll use it against working-class folks and poor folks. You're not going to convince me it's going to be applied the same way to Black Lives Matter protesters and, you know, socialist protesters and gay and trans protesters the same way it's going to be used against far-right demonstrators. I mean, in the state of Alabama, there have been multiple people indicted or under investigation for participating in the January 6, 2021 riots in D.C. Now, is that who you're concerned about, Hmm. Representative? Because I got a feeling it's not. So, uh, and again, it's we're in our state motto is we dare defend our rights. Nearly every leader of this state for over 200 years that we have been a state has championed small government. Now, whether they believed it, whether they enacted it, they all said it 
almost every leadership we've ever had for two centuries in this state talks about small government. So I don't think it's a lot to ask that we, the people of Alabama, be able to exercise our First Amendment rights to free speech and free assembly without the threat or fear of being locked in a cage by armed agents of the state. Yep. Yeah, I th- it's it's not unreasonable at all. Um, and so uh, I we're going to go to a break really quick. I just got a message from the representative saying he was having difficulty getting into the Zoom, asked us to send him a new link. So let's go ahead and uh, and, and jump to a break really quick. And we'll see if we can't get uh, we'll see if we can't get Representative Treadaway on to talk about his bill. So make sure you stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation you need to call my friend jeb miles with the iron workers local 477 they only work with the best in the business vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection from welding to heavy rigging from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more they supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in north alabama so you know they're legit if you need good quality safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is, and to that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state, and they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifbte.org. 
The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news, good news, I'll tell. Now the good old union has come in here to dwell. Alabama's only Union Talk Radio Show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller, and uh, we have been uh, uh, we were having some issues getting Representative Treadaway on the line, and so Adam was giving us a sort of historical context for these sort of uh, for these sort of events and this these sort of bills in Alabama in the past, and uh, we believe that we've got him on the line now. Representative Treadaway, can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You sound great. I appreciate your time today. Um, I, I do appreciate it. There's, you know, a lot of folks aren't willing to uh, are, aren't willing to go outside of, you know, where they know that they'll get a little bit of pushback on their ideas. And so we appreciate you be, being willing to uh, to join us. So, you know, last week, your bill, the the anti-protest bill, passed the Alabama House of Representatives, and we've been tracking the bill and, and sounding the alarm about it for a while. We're not. We, we are not um, shy. We're not in the closet about saying we oppose this bill. So we figured it'd be good to bring you on to talk about uh, to talk about your bill and, and defend it. And uh, it has that bill has been traveling together with a constitutional carry bill. And so I think it generally makes sense to talk about them together because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of overlapping things there. It passed the House on the same day as your anti-protest bill, and you voted for it. Uh, I'm speaking of the constitutional carry bill. Before we get into your bill, can you tell us why you voted for the constitutional carry bill? Sure. So uh, obviously, for as a chairman of public safety for the last six years, working on that bill, actually uh, uh, not allowing the bill to proceed before all the work that the committee had to do on the bill. With that, being in law enforcement myself for 31 years, there was a lot of things that were discovered. Uh, one, uh, there's a lot of things falling through the cracks. We've got a lot of permits out here that we cannot validate. Also, I don't know if you're aware of it, but ATF did an audit, and there was some 208,000 permits issued without the proper background checks. This poses a very serious problem for public safety. Now, I've worked on the streets for 31 years, and I'm going to tell you, I used to think that those permits uh, uh, presented some layer of, uh, of, of uh, I wouldn't say security, but uh, confidence that somebody had been checked. Well, what I found out over the last few years, that wasn't the case. And many of these uh, permits 
uh, being issued without the proper background checks and the fact that you got 67 sheriffs. Now, think about that for a minute. The 67 kingdoms, and uh, they're all issuing a different looking permit. Hmm. So you have an officer, you have an officer on the street, whether it's, uh, you know, six o'clock in the evening or six in the morning. And uh, he's got somebody with a weapon. He's presented with a permit. Well, you could print it in your in your uh, in your office. Uh, because there was really no way to validate it. So we started having a lot of issues, but it gets a lot deeper. Even as a law enforcement officer, I did not know that there was a lot of things falling through the crack. An example would be uh, uh, a protection order from abuse. You're not supposed to have a weapon. Your, 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 your permit's invalid at that point. Well, found out that these things wasn't being captured. A lot of our domestic violence convictions are not being captured. we got 400-plus-something municipalities and, and in any given day, there's a number of people probably convicted uh, of a domestic violence, which forbids you to carry weapons. So you have a permit. Uh, it's now invalid. So what we found with the permitting system was that there were so many flaws in that system. So how do we fix it? Now, now, now what we got to was I worked with uh, the last few years with Representative Pouncey uh, Robertson. And we came up with the first state to do it. Now, this is Alabama, the first to do something, okay, and, and other than football. But we're the, we're the first to do it. We got a database. This database is, is a leap forward in public safety, not only for you, but for law enforcement officers. It will hold those folks that are not supposed to be carrying. You may have a valid permit. You may have it issued this week. But in two weeks from now, that, that, that permit uh, may not, no longer be valid, but we don't have the, the, the means to validate it. So what we're doing with this database is everybody in every case, what, what the vision is, it was we move forward, uh, Leah uh, will, will, will be running the database. It'll be housed at their headquarters where a siegis is with the National, for Crimes, National Information Crime Center and others. So anytime somebody's convicted or anytime somebody shouldn't have a weapon or is adjudicated a mental defect, it should not have a permit. This database will capture it. So going forward, when that person is ran and uh, they produce, whether they produce a valid or a a fraudulent uh, permit, it's not going to matter once the system's up and running. Is it perfect? No, we're going to work on it. But a lot of states are now looking at Alabama, looking at that database. It's not putting anybody in there that's that's, a law-abiding citizen. We're talking about folks that some probate judge may have adjudicated somebody a mental defect. We're going to capture it. So it's not about what you see with other 21 states uh, going to permitless carry and not having a mechanism in place that is far better, in my opinion. It's far better, and I think most of law enforcement will tell you that. So in a nutshell, that's how I evolved. Did you give me this system and you fund it, which took about a half a million to fund it, about 45000 each year, then, then, then I'm good. Uh, with moving from uh, permits to permitless carry. Mm-hmm. In addition, 21 states have it. There's been real no drop-off in permits. Uh, there's been no increase in crime. Right. There's 21 states, and none of them have even discussed repealing the law. So we can argue or, or talk about, well, that's dangerous. But you got to know how we've got to where we're at and why I believe, and many in law enforcement believe, once they understand what we're doing, how this database is a far leap forward into uh, public safety versus just these permits. Sure, sure. And and that argument makes a lot of sense to me 
Um, yeah, and I got to say the the database. I'm glad you mm-hmm. explained that because it hasn't been talked about as much in all this, and and that right. is a very common sense. It's one of those things you, you sort of assumed it already was in place. Uh, <laughs> right. So yeah, I, I think that was a, a very common sense mm-hmm. kind of measure. And but and, the, and it took on, us years. Oh, go ahead. No, it took us years to get there, and and because uh, a lot of folks have asked me, you know. I used to be on this side of the fence on that issue. Mm-hmm. Well, even in law enforcement, I had no idea um, uh, the problems associated with the permitting process. These, this is something that was done many, many, many years, decades ago. And we're talking about uh, technology today that can capture these things. Uh, and we're not doing it. So anyways, it, right. it, 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 yeah, it's been a process for me. Yeah, well, so the... But, you know, you, you mentioned law enforcement and, and the majority, at least from the organized police associations does seem to be opposed to this bill like like you used to be and and they've come out in force against it there's been lots of police officers at these hearings and the main arguments that i've seen coming from those folks uh, against this bill are, are are twofold one that it'll make officers less safe and two that it'll decrease their ability to use guns as a pretext to investigate somebody further uh, in, uh hindering crime solving and one by one you know on on the first contention, the rebuttal was basically, well, we aren't necessarily convinced that's the case, um, that it would actually decrease officer safety. I think you spoke to some of that. But to the extent that it does, I think that there is, on the people who support permitless carry, there is a broad agreement that even if you stipulate that it does decrease officer safety, even if you even if it does decrease civilian safety, it's worth it because of the Second Amendment in the same way that it is worth uh, uh, hindering crime solving abilities to keep the Fourth Amendment intact, because we have this uh, uh, we have this dedication to these principles of people being able to defend themselves uh, and people being protected from unreasonable search and seizure that we understand that it's possible there could be some you know there could be some some bad outcomes right that that liberty and security are not always totally they're not always totally parallel that you give up some amount of security we recognize this to have freedom right and i, I think that that is a lot of the uh that's a lot of the the arguments coming from people who are in favor of permitless carry they're saying that we have to protect our freedoms and you know consequences be damned right i should be able to carry a gun and and you know so is that reasoning something that, that you would basically agree with yeah you know listen right there, there's folks uh passionate about this on both sides of the aisle uh my thing as the chairman of public safety uh homeland security over the last several years is now i i have been on both sides of it where, you know, the critics on both sides have been getting me because I didn't want to move the bill and didn't move the bill. Uh, I thought that there was, that's what the legislature was about. We had a process. Um, I was adamant that with nothing else in place, no, I'm firmly here because Mm -hmm. the argument about it is a tool is valid in a sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then once it evolved to this database and realized that the permits uh, think about it. They're out here working and, and you've got somebody that presents a, a permit, whether it, and there's 67 versions or, or multiple versions, and you can't validate it. Most of the county's uh, uh, permit offices are closed at 5, 5 p.m. So who do you call? And, and then many officers said when you call when they're open, 
uh, they'll say, well, I need to call you back. But you got somebody on the street with a weapon. But they're producing a, a permit that you can't uh, uh, validate. Uh, so you have to let them go. So I, and then you have the Second Amendment, folks, which is, a valid, is valid. It's enumerated in our Second Amendment. Uh, there are some folks that don't think there should be any restrictions on that. I think there is. They don't let you carry bazookas. You know, they, so there's, 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 this is a very difficult situation. Hmm. But I am proud to say that Alabama has a system moving forward uh, that would capture these things. And I go back to a, a killing in my own district. Uh, an individual who had a valid permit was stopped by the sheriff's office. He produced that valid permit with the weapon he was carrying. Mm-hmm. Well, what wasn't captured was some weeks earlier, he was uh, uh, given a protection order from abuse from his estranged wife. The sheriff allowed him to move along because of that permit. And that shows how flawed it is. Hmm. That was on Christmas Day a number of years ago. He he proceeded from that, that, that vehicle stop where he produced a weapon and a valid permit. Because the system didn't capture that abuse from protection, he went to his estranged wife's house on Christmas Day and killed her. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, these are things that how many of these things we're not capturing. So I don't think people hear the whole story uh, of how we've evolved to where we're currently at in Alabama and why other states are looking at this database. And, and some people would refer to it like a sex offender database. Mm-hmm. We're only putting the people in it that don't don't need to be carrying a weapon. And we're going to we're trying to get it to where it evolves to where it's uh, real time. And keep in mind, this bill, if passes doesn't take effect to January of 2023 and the database takes effect October of this year. Hmm. So we're, we, we're not moving anything right. unless we have something in place. And, and, and this doesn't make everyone happy, but mm-hmm. I think it, uh, it, it, it's far better for public safety and it, it allows those folks that argue their second amendment rights that they don't want to pay a tax right. uh, to go to have the, the you know, and it, it addresses that too. Right. And, and so, you know, you, you, but you broadly agree that, you know, with with liberty comes some amount with freedom comes some amount of insecurity and that's something that that we have to that we should accept uh specifically with regards to this this permitless carry bill right I, I do and i see where that's where you're going with that in the next question yes the next well bit, well so. i'm you know so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad that you i'm glad that you see where i'm going with this because i think it's i think sure. it's really clear because i can't imagine being in the frame of mind where I believe, as I do, that restrictions on guns are too strict. I believe that there are lots of people. I believe that the gun laws in this country are disproportionately used against uh, 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 against marginalized communities, against black and brown folks, against poor folks, against poor white folks, uh, and and it penalizes them. And it, it 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 and so I think that there's there's a very good argument for making it easier to own a gun, and, and making it more difficult for police to harass you about owning a gun. I do. But I can't imagine being in that frame of mind and believing that our restrictions on speech and assembly are too loose. Because while we're talking about eliminating the needs for permits for carrying a deadly weapon, citizens have to get a permit from their government just to speak. Just to speak. If you want to do an assembly downtown... I've got to get a permit, okay? Coal miners in Brookwood are on strike right now, and they've been on strike for about a year. And basically the whole year, the state, the government, has said you can only have so many people on your picket lines. At first it was 10, then it was 11, then it was 5, then it was 6. Then for about three months they banned it altogether, 
all together, and now they can have two people on a picket line. They can only have two people on the picket line. So I believe in the First and the Second Amendment. I think that just like we're moving in Alabama to making it easier to carry firearms, to be able to protect ourselves, to, to fortify our Second Amendment rights, I think we should be moving to make it easier to, uh, for people to ac- exercise their constitutional right to speak and assemble. Because I think that there are too many restrictions on speech and assembly in this country. And you said that, uh, um, you know, I don't know how long you've been in the House. I'm assuming it's, it's a while. I'm assuming you've been there a while, at least four years. I heard in your testimony that you said this was the most, your anti-protest bill was the, the you are most proud of sponsoring this legislation of any legislation in your career. And like, you're mo- you're moving in in a, in the direction of restricting speech more like just as a factual statement that's what's happening with your bill whether or not you we can and and we will talk about whether that's justified or not but why are you why do you feel that we are too lax that we have too much freedom to speak and assemble but we don't have enough freedom to carry guns Okay, that's a, again, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to come on the show, and I'll 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 be available to talk about uh, this bill to anybody. So let me kind of tell you, you know, kind of explain where I came from with with the with the uh, the whole gun issue. So thirty one years, uh, and, and by the way, I've been in the legislature sixteen years, and I don't know if this is the the best piece of legislation because I kind of looked at some bills that were controversial, like Narcan, that saves lives that I'm very proud of. That uh, uh, you know, I've had folks on both sides of the aisle on that one wondering why I was bringing it, and then uh, and fentanyl strips this year is going to save lives. I've been on the street. I was raised in uh, the inner city of Chicago, and uh, and and I've worked 31 years in the inner city of Birmingham. So, uh, getting back to the protests and freedom of speech, uh, I support that wholeheartedly. I, I would like to, you know, get your input on on what you think about what really happened. So 31 years, I've been on the front lines in, uh, of uh, the abortion issue, skinheads, KKK, you name it, in Birmingham. We're the civil rights capital of the world. And I kind of like to think we do it right there. We have a good, uh, our, our law enforcement engages the community uh, well when folks have been trying to catch up and do those things for years. We've always done them in Birmingham and continue to do them, and we'll, we'll continue to work at that. Uh, but the summer of 2020 and, and what we all watched is something unlike any protest I've ever seen. I firmly believe the Black Lives Matter chapter in Birmingham was going to be peaceful. We know these are facts now. We know for a fact that these groups uh, that came in and hijacked that cause, they came into Birmingham. They planted it. incinerator devices, gasoline, bricks and sledgehammers. Now, how do we know that? Because when we looked at the crowd and we started investigating this, where did this stuff come from? You've watched it played out on TV. You've seen these folks bashing windows in. By the way, you see more more white college-age kids bashing these windows in and setting fires than you do blacks or minorities. So there, there was a very diverse group. There was some 70, approximately 70 people arrested. Two-thirds were not even from the community, many of them from out of state. We know this is a fact. So who's financed this? Who's brought this in? We had a guy at the back of the jail with literally a sack of cash pre-planned. Why is that? They knew Birmingham had a $300 cash-only bond, okay? So they had to cash steer the bond folks out while police and fire were uh, firemen were trying to put out the fires and calm the situation. They're rejoining uh, the riots. No doubt in my mind, 
that uh, there was a, a what was started to be a peaceful protest was hijacked. The facts are there. Uh, folks from out of state came in. No protests I've ever seen in 30-something years. Uh, and they, they, we had these type of elements. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We've got buildings that are 32 stories high in Birmingham. Uh, think about it. These were not Molotov cocktails thrown through the window. They were hell-bent on bringing those buildings down. I was standing next to one that was uh, had an intense flame in it. I couldn't understand why it was so red. So, well, that was a box of flares that was set on fire. And and if it wasn't for the water suppressing system, we probably had loss of life. So now you've got these buildings. You've got maintenance crews in there, cleanup crews, and people working late that are set on fire. Nobody was held accountable. All charges were dropped. At my role at that time, I was the active assistant police chief. Now, when I seen what was happening, by the way, because everybody wants to make this a race issue, by the way, uh, I've never worked for a white mayor. I've worked for some, uh, uh, built some fine relationships, very diverse relationships in 31 years. Um, and every six of my chiefs uh, were African-American and my department's vastly majority African-American. It was having bricks thrown at them. So because me being referred to as a modern day Bull Connor, I expected all of that. But we've got to be real on what's happening here. So. Being on the front line and seeing that, never seeing that before, and the potential of loss of life, I needed to bring a bill and get this discussion going. Because the media, the mainstream media, does not want to report or will not, for some reason, report on the facts that these people were brought. They came into the state, I'm sure using social media and whatever, and they hijacked what was going to be a peaceful protest. So my bill does this. I worked with the Democrats. I've worked with anybody. My bill has no monuments in it like the eight states have passed it. I refuse to do that. I want the bill to address public safety only. That's protesters, that's police officers, fire, anybody in that area, and property. And 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 so we've got to have this discussion. I'm glad you're having it. I've got a lot of folks saying this suppresses First Amendment. But what I what if you read the bill and it only kicks in after the mayor has a curfew violation in play. And those individuals start looting, burning, and assaulting. Then this bill kicks in upon conviction. But we do have a holding now. There's the argument about people. Yeah, well, just well, let's let, let's go kind of let's go kind of one by one if you could, because I think I think that it would be helpful maybe if you read the bill, because that's not what it does. It as far like and well, I'll, I'll read the language. I'll read, read the language, and, and we can talk about it. Riot is defined as quote. The assemblage of five or more persons engaging in conduct which creates, not does, which creates an immediate danger and or results in. See, we've got two different things. We've got somebody who who define who define you, you've got like thought policing in here. You've got you're enabling the police to decide who they believe is creating an immediate danger and or results in damage. It's already illegal to set fire to a building. Yes. It's already illegal no, to set, so, but but so I, let's let let's go on further. Let's well, just a second. Just a second. wait a minute. Let me uh, stop you right there. You said take them one by one, so let me stop you right there. Okay. So a lot of the definition you're reading is changes to a definition, a current definition that the Democrats didn't like, and I agree need to be updated. So understand, regardless of this bill, you need to be reading what the riot definition in current law and has been there for many decades. The language you're reading is me working across the aisle to update and make the language better. You're never going to get 
language that's perfect. So let's just assume the bill doesn't even pass. Well, then you live with the definition. If you got a minute, I'll, I'll get it for you. But you, so everybody's forgetting that there's a riot definition on the books and has been that nobody seems to like. The changes you're reading to me is me working across the aisle and, and trying to make it better. Uh, uh, I'm open to any uh, definition, but what I'm not open to is, 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 is when folks start burning buildings and people are in them and assaulting mm. police officers, I am trying to address that. I'm with you on the First Amendment. Sure, uh, sure. This is not somebody don't agree with that. Sure. Well, then let's then then we should change the definition. If there's thought policing in the current definition of rioting, then we should eliminate that. But your definition that you like, I don't know what it what it is currently. And I would support a bill that if there if the current definition of riot includes thought policing, I would I would oppose I would oppose that. And we should take that out. But your definition, the one that you're pushing does include that it enables the police to to determine who they reckon is creating an immediate danger. And so a person who, commits... Who else would? I mean, but who else would in a situation where they're burning down a city? Well, but so, I mean, no, burning down a determine? city is illegal already. Burning down a city yeah, is illegal you already. All, you don't understand what the, what the bill is doing is we're trying to update a riot. That, so all of those things are there, yes. So what does the bill ultimately do? It stiffens penalty... It gives us a 24-hour hold where most states are doing 48. That was a compromise. But if we're going to bond folks out at 300 cash and somebody's there getting all of these folks that are violating a lawful order, understand, read the rest of the bill. It has a curfew violation has to be in play that, for this to kick in. I don't it believe that's have, true because here's what the a person commits from the bill. A person commits the crime of riot if after receiving an order to disperse by a law enforcement officer. So there's no curfew mentioned there or when in violation read the, of a curfew. Read the beginning of it. Or when in violation of a curfew. you got to read the beginning of that. It says a curfew violation in play. I don't know what version you're looking at, but this is a process in Montgomery. So, yes, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is I hear what you're saying, and I want to work with that. But help me get there because I think you and I agree that once you start burning and then to say that there's laws on the books, but they're not sufficient enough. They're not stiff enough. If the law's on the books and we're making arrests and you're joining a riot because somebody's binding you out, then we people argue, well, let's look at the bonds. Let's stick to them. Let's, you know. I am saying yes, but to ignore what is taking place, do you know that there is, in in 2020, this is the FBI stats came out, over 60,000 police officers were assaulted. That's a 7 point, just according to the FBI, 7.2% increase. And over half of the increase is assault on police while trying to deal with protesters. So I'm just saying, where is that line? Help me get there. I'm, yeah, I'm well, I mean, the, you know, we, the, 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 you know, there's a lot of talk about how difficult, how, how much danger police are in. And no doubt it, it, it is a dangerous job, but it's not even like in the top 10, you know, logging, being a driver. These things are, are more difficult. And a lot of and most you, of the danger, wanna, in fact, you, in, in, you might want to look, you might want to relook. There's 58 percent increase on officer homicide, officers, intentional murder this year alone. They haven't seen numbers like this in decades. I think the numbers you're looking at, while valid, you're yet yes, I agree. 
but I don't think they apply in the last 24 months. I think you're going to see a, a much different, different, difficult situation. But most of the Listen. most of the dangers that police officers face are not actually, in fact, from like uh, homicide or or assaulting. And of course, again, like. It's illegal to kill people, right? It's illegal to kill people. Well, it's illegal you. to assault people, you. and people get arrested for that, and 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 people get and, and and people are tried and convicted for that. But most of the danger from law enforcement, actually, there was like I can't remember, but it was significantly, significantly more police officers died from COVID than uh, uh than than from people killing them, and significantly more people died from you know, being in car accidents as a police officer. So, you know, like there, there's a certain amount of, you know, everybody no mainstream media likes there's to. There's no comparison to that and intentional murder assaults on police officers. Let me tell you what's happening. Sir, if, if, if I can say real quick, what sure. I wanted to interject here because, um, you know, I, I trust that the statistics you're telling me are, are accurate. You know, I don't know otherwise. What I also know in the past 24 months is uh, a whole lot of civilians have been hurt by police. Uh, you know, we, we've witnessed it here in Huntsville where it was the civilians on the receiving end of the violence. Mm-hmm. There's no dispute about that. That is that is just the facts on the ground. And I think as we all saw these protests play out on TV, we saw plenty of civilians who are mm-hmm. subjected to tear gas, to pepper spray, to uh, various "quote unquote" non-lethal uh, munitions? People who were uh, dragged, hit, kicked, lost so, eyes. So I mean, you know, and that's not because I'm trying to absolve folks of committing violence against law enforcement. Of course, I, I mean, Jacob and I, and and the people who listen to us, we're all 100 percent non-violent kind of folks. We don't condone that, uh, but we also can't condone police officers committing violence on civilians mm-hmm. which has and there's it, no ramifications for that i mean i don't by know large that, it's, by, yeah, it's the exception they, not the rule yeah it is the exception that police officers are held accountable for uh for their violations of civilians rights rather than the rule whereas the rule for civilians violating the rights of cops is that we are held accountable but but i mean but we're not talking about that's not that's not the bill and and the the bill is about or well there is part of that and i I do want to ask you about it but but uh, but to be arrested and convicted and again the mandatory holding time i i was not in birmingham but i've got it is very difficult to me for me to believe that in the same night people were bailed out and, and were able to participate in the same protest because in huntsville i've never seen a jail that efficient yeah in huntsville what happened in Huntsville, what happened, and I know people that were arrested in Huntsville, and they had their charges dropped because they were bogus, because there was no property damage or anything by, uh, you know, by protesters in Huntsville. The property damage was done by the police uh, by, on a coffee shop. One of their rounds hit a coffee shop's window, and the protesters actually fundraised to repair uh, the <laughs> to repair the coffee shop's window. That wasn't the police; that was the protesters that did that. And so, you know, what I saw in Huntsville was people were arrested and they were kept overnight and they were not able to be bailed out overnight and they lost jobs. They lost jobs just without the mandatory 24-hour holding time. They lost jobs as the law stands today. And so I've got a real difficult time with with believing that we should hold people who are by definition innocent. Well, by definition innocent on, for 24 hours and you don't even have to be convicted to be convicted of riot under this definition, you do not have to oh. have damaged any property or hurt 
a single hair on a person's head. And I don't I don't think that's okay when we're talking about locking people in a cage in some of the most dangerous facilities in the country for 30 days. You will lose jobs, you will lose your home, you will potentially lose your family, de- uh, you'll lose your kids, and you don't have to have damaged any property or hurt a single person. Like, I have a problem with that. So, you're, you know, you, and, 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 and uh, listen... I appreciate your point of view on this, and, and, and you're talking about your experience and what you saw in Huntsville. Uh, I know you weren't in Birmingham, but you certainly saw buildings being smashed and looted and pawn shops with weapons and, and fires being set. Mm-hmm. Now, I was there at that I, one, so I'm not right. going to tell you, you know, and, 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 and this legislation was born out of that. Eight states have passed it. Thirty-two are looking at it. Mine is the least restrictive in all of them because I hear you. But I also we also got to recognize we have to have law and order. And we you know, listen, I I represented cops for decades. And then I rose through the ranks, the assistant chief, where I was on the end of firing officers, sending them uh, discipline them days off all the way up to termination, sending them to prison. Uh, So we we can always do better there. But to the demonization of this profession over the last few years is having chilling effects on our, on our society. And I predict we'll get much worse. We're in the middle of a crime wave. We've got to, we've got to have law and order. We've got targeting law enforcement officers backs. And let me tell you what's going on. Uh, and I'm sure it's going on in most cities across America. Cause I, I read about Seattle the other day, lost 350 officers in 24 months. They've been only able to recruit and retain a hundred and, 30-some-odd cops. They're in critical shortages. They're paying bonuses to get officers. In Birmingham, they're 100, 150 or more short. In the last year and a half, I can tell you without question that we've tried to hire anywhere between 45 and 60 in a class. We're lucky. They just started one a couple weeks ago with just 10 officers. Then the months it will take to get them out of the academy, we will lose three times that on the street. These are, and, and what we don't talk about is how high the crime is in these the, the, the areas of my, minority communities. They don't deserve to live in a war zone. They don't deserve to be scared to live at home. Now, with that said, uh, we have got to see how we want to proceed. And I hear what you're saying about Huntsville and what somebody may so, say somewhere else. I am trying to get to the point to where we recognize what took place in Birmingham. The laws on the books are not stiff enough to deal with it. Period. Well, but it wasn't we're the law- just, well. J- just a second. It wasn't the laws on the books that were not stiff enough. The DA decided that the charges were bogus and didn't pursue them. That, that and so and about, so we can quibble about, about whether or not the DA was right. But the DA could drop charges under this bill. The DA could not pursue charges under yeah. this bill, and it and it would be exactly the same. We're not talking about uh, we're not talking about the law not being stiff enough. You're disagreeing with the DA's enforcement of the law, and so that's that's totally. Totally, totally different. But no, I'm talking about, about Birmingham. Birmingham. You said Birmingham. All 70 uh, people who were arrested had you, their you, charges you're dropped. There, you're not sitting there suggesting, in no way, of what you've watched on TV, with all these people bashing and burning buildings. You're not suggesting that the 70 folks arrested, and all charges dropped, wasn't politically motivated. I don't know if Come I on. don't. I don't know, and and uh, I think you probably on no. TV? Hold on, hold on, hold on, just a second. I think probably. Most of it was bogus. I think probably most of it was bogus because of uh, well, because of the world that we live there. in. But but 
But I don't speak that no, way about Huntsville. I wasn't in Huntsville. Sure, I'm but that you, was the DAs that that we're not talking about. The, the laws were not strict enough. We're talking about the DA decided that, that these charges didn't apply or that he didn't want to enforce the law. We're not talking about the, the restrictions not being stiff enough. So right. the law I mean, DAs do can make political and, prosecute. DAs right. will, will have he, discretion to use political uh, judgment. Political their political offices. Right. right. Regardless of this legislation or otherwise. In fact, that's one of our concerns about it is you now have more uh, punishment yes. At exactly. their discretion, so, and and you know you were talking about you were talking about you know kind of getting away from the riot, just about the general crime, and you said that you you don't believe that people should live in in crime crime ridden communities, and I totally agree. I think we would probably disagree about what we do about that because you know we don't see a lot of crime in suburbs, and generally speaking, it's because people in suburbs are better off, and so I think that we should be looking at at, at making people in inner cities, making people in poor communities better off, maybe uh, social programs, things like that, rather than law enforcement because that doesn't seem to have worked. But that, that's not what we're, we're talking about. The riot bill increases, it gives this mandatory man, minimum holding time, and it increases the, the you being held in a cage in some of the most dangerous facilities in the country to 30 days, and you do not have to have damaged any property or hurt a single person to be convicted under this law. Like, you, you know, well, you have a disagreement with the DA. Thirty days. The thirty days is after conviction. Right. We have to trust our system. But you know, but I'm me, talking about know, conviction. You I can be convicted policing. under this law, and you haven't hurt anybody. You haven't hurt anybody. You haven't damaged any property. I'm talking about conviction. I don't think that's right. I don't think Where, there should be a law. That? That's not true. Where, yes, what it is part true. Of the people, it's not. You got to be convicted. Brother, of, come uh, on. Read the definition. All right. Let me tell you about domestic violence just for a second. Because this was argued that, you know, with domestic violence, people say we don't hold people. We do. And and I started policing and I remember a young lady in Inslee, Pratt City, where I used to patrol. And she was beat so bad. And I knew it was her husband. But but she said her sister had come over and they got into a fight. Well, the laws on the books did not allow us to arrest anybody. They changed because people were dying. People were being assaulted. And it changed to where when we come in, we have the discretion to try to determine who's the who's the offender. And if we can't, we take both of them in. And it's a cooling down period. We put them in jail and we hold them. And the reason is, is because too many people are dying. It turned out to be very effective and it's saving a lot of lives. We do it for DUI. I have lost two of my members to a drunk driver. OK, so we hold them. I lost my daughter, who was a school teacher, to a drunk driver who had multiple arrests. All right. And that was just uh, four years ago yesterday. So don't tell me we don't evolve in these laws and we do. And we got to look at them. I'm telling you, I agree with this debate. I'm with you. I don't want to make it so argumentative. But people could have died in those buildings that were set on fire. They yes. were intentionally. Set. We've got people coming into these towns, hijacking what you're looking at and I look at and used to look at as completely a peaceful type protest. And I know this the country's evolved to the better because of these protests. And yes, they've got out of hand. I get it. But we're seeing something different. So I am open to continue to work this process and work this bill. But I do believe that if, and I think you would agree with me, Let's say it's that person that's bashing the window and they are setting a fire and they are throwing bricks at Which cops. is illegal. Which is illegal say, already. And let's, and let, well, you're not going to let, let me hear you not hear me out. 
So if I want to stiffen that penalty and hold you and you're caught on the camera and say, we got you, you still don't agree with the hold? The, the 24 hours that calm the situation that many times doesn't take, it takes days that, that these situations need to be calm. So it, what I'm saying to you, if we can get it down and we can assure with, with video and, 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 and hold you accountable for setting that fire, you still don't agree with that person being held for 24 hours because you let him right back out. I'm going to tell you what that type of person's going to do. It could be you to get your head bashed in. It could be your home that gets set on fire. We've got to decide. Right, and it could be me that gets be. shot in a Walmart because somebody doesn't feel like they need to have a permit. And I'm okay with that because I believe in in having the freedom. But but you can't do that. You can't prove something without a trial because we're innocent until proven guilty in this country. I believe that's one of the most important things that we have in this country is a right to trial. And you just simply can't prove that without the trial and the but but that's not even that that's even totally removed from what your bill does i i i just want to drill down because you're disputing that you that that you can be arrested and convicted without having damaged any property or hurt any person you do not believe that a person would that you do not believe that you could convict a person for riot under your bill uh if they have not damaged any property or hurt a person despite but your your definition of riot is the assemblage of five or more persons engaging in it's conduct which creates an immediate danger. It's been on the books. It's an update and a, a better definition that's been on the books for decades. We give police officers, I know you don't like that a police officer gets discretion out here, but you wouldn't be able to walk the streets or live in the comfort that you do if it wasn't given these, these discretions given. Can we have a better trained uh, police department? Absolutely. Can we do better and engage in the community? Need to do better. But don't sit and argue a definition or other definitions that are on the books, whether it's DUIs or domestics or assaults or that we give officers discretion on. You're taking a definition sure, so, that's so, worse than it's been on the books. So you believe the we're, officers... We're trying to update the definition. Well, I don't look. Look, I mean, if the definition includes thought policing, I think that we should get rid of that. But your definition includes thought policing. It, it says that you create an immediate danger. You haven't you haven't damaged anything. You haven't hurt anybody. It's just you. The the people look at the word saying. Look at engaging and resulting in, which is an update, which means you have to be engaging in that behavior, and it has to result in. Uh, it says and or and or engaging in conduct which creates an immediate danger of and or results in. We've got two. De- th- there's there's two different things that you can be that you can be convicted of rioting for. You can be convicted of rioting for creating an immediate dan- danger of damage to property, or you can be convicted of rioting for engaging in conduct which results in damage to property or injury to persons. Like, do you not I, recognize I, I, that? Listen, do you not recognize that that definition is unlike – there's many throughout our laws. You have to give discretion, and you, you have to train your law enforcement officers to do the job, to go out there and keep folks from losing their lives. Uh, I never thought we'd live in a time that police are the fault of all of society's ills. You and I, I – listen, I agree. I've worked and grew up in inner city. 
Uh, and I've got a brother that took other uh, d- uh, other routes in life and has been in the penitentiary many years of his life. We have to hold people accountable. We have to have law and order. You give me the perfect definition. Now, I'll tell you this. There are laws on the books uh, for this, but they don't go far enough. Uh, there's a necessity to have a hold now. Many states are seeing that. And it's not to trample on people's First Amendment rights. I am trying to zone in on those very serious violators that put lives in danger here. And I'm open. I'm still open to working on that because I do not want somebody who is peacefully protesting uh, being arrested. But when did we stop uh, holding people accountable for noncompliance? The mayor of Birmingham had a curfew violation in play. Uh, There was lawful orders given on a bullhorn. We had undercover officers in the crowd so they could they can testify that they heard it clearly and then some people refused to leave one young lady said i did nothing but sit on the bench well no you're there's a curfew violation in play we've told you an hour hour and a half every 15 minutes that people will be arrested if you don't disperse and then you didn't walk away from where the buildings were starting to be looted and set on fire Mm -hmm. you walked towards it you walk towards it. So sure. So she should be you, locked in a cage for thirty days. Okay. Gl- glad that we no, agree. No, no, no. Bill, don't say that, brother. Don't, don't it, listen. It does, don't agree man. with me. Don't it add does. stuff to it. No, okay. it does not. I'm. A- let me finish what I'm saying. Sure. I'm asking you that question. If this person, where there's a violation of a curfew violation, a lawful order to disperse, is headed towards the the rioting situation, what do you expect police officers to do? to put their lives in danger? My question is they would be arrested for failure to disperse under the bill I got or curfew violation, and neither of that results in a 30-day or a 24-hour hold. So, uh, I, you know, again, with, I see where you're coming from, and I, I'm hearing you. It's a process in Montgomery. I'm still willing and open to work on this, is what I'm yeah, saying. I'm sure. not locking in and arguing with me, arguing with you saying, what you're saying is not valid. I agree. But where is that point of safety for everyone involved? Yeah. So I, can, I, can I interject here, Jacob, if you don't mind? Uh, and I, I do want to say I appreciate that you're willing to even have this discussion. Because, yeah, like we said, a lot of people, uh, yeah. you know. A lot of people don't want to talk to people who disagree with them. Yeah, I give they you like a lot of credit for that. And you're right. It is a process in terms of, you know, one word can make a difference and one word can be changed many times uh, in this process. So that does make it difficult to to, you know, look at the fine details here. And what you're getting at is a, like an essential question of where is the line between protecting public safety versus protecting uh, public First Amendment rights. I mean, that's one of the, the long debates of the history of our country. So, you know, and it's the three of us aren't going to solve that necessarily right here this morning. So, you know, all that said, um, you know, a couple of the, the one thing that you mentioned that really made me think was in terms of, you know, the lawful order to disperse or, or at what point do we hold people accountable for disobedience? I respect that coming from you know, law enforcement, your job, enforce the laws. People don't follow the laws. You're supposed to act. I get that. But I also get, you know, just as a as a student of history and as an activist for most of my adult life, that civil disobedience has been a great engine of change throughout this country. And then, you know, the, this legislation could have easily been uh, targeted at 
any of our you know grandfathers and, and grandmothers who are out there in the civil rights movement or in the labor movement or any other you know social movement that yes at times disobeyed laws in order to make a point in order to raise consciousness in order to you know win gains for ordinary people and so you know i say all that just to say that you know i think that's worth remembering from law enforcement from people of your political persuasion as well that that's one area we're coming from and i, I think i'm sure the the black caucus i know has been really mm-hmm. hammering home that point as well and it sounds like you're really trying to engage in dialogue with them and and hear them out which i i really do appreciate but you know it just that's what really bothers me is when i hear these discussions you know i just i see images from history i see mm-hmm. our our forefathers in gadsden trying to organize a union in the 30s i see dr king and john lewis and all the brothers and sisters out there uh, trying to win the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act. And, and I see where is, this could send a chilling effect on everyday average Alabamians' desire and willingness to exercise their freedom of speech and assembly. And I, I respect your, your concern in terms of demonization of the police. No one wants to be demonized as a former teacher – you know, that resonates with me because teachers are also blamed a lot of times for all kinds of, you know, society's ills. I get that. But I don't think a solution is to is to demonize protest or to uh, increase the capacity to discourage protest and assembly with the long and violent arm of the state, because ultimately that's what we're talking about here, armed agents of the state. Whatever their intentions in joining the police, what, however good a person they may be, you know, doing their shift, at the end of the day, they are armed agents of the government. And, you know, so those things are just – it's just incredibly complex. And it that that's my concern. And, and I think really what I mentioned earlier before we got you on the line is, is this really going to be for everybody? Is this bill going to be enforced equally across all lines is every type of person going to be treated the same way? Because based on the history of the state, based on our current conditions, I just I, I just don't I, I don't believe it. I, I have a hard time believing that the left would be treated the same as the right or that okay. uh, minorities would be treated the same as whites or that Muslims would be treated the same as Christians. I just have a hard time believing that. And therefore, it's just hard for me to accept that, you know, law enforcement should have more tools in their arsenal to detain people uh, and to ruin people's lives. Because anyone arrested under this, their life is probably going to be ruined. And that's a heavy, I mean, that's heavy to put Mm -hmm. that out there, that we're going to ruin some people's lives. That's just a really heavy thing. And and it sounds to me like you, you, you recognize it's a really heavy thing and it's... Something that you're you're you know you're out here engaged in this dialogue, and I do give you a lot of credit for that, because the consequences for something like this can be so far-reaching, and can really resonate throughout history. And I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now. No, I uh, listen. I agree with you on that and the history and all that, but I I, I also I'm seeing something where if we have or or, or these protests 
are under attack and actually are being hijacked and somebody outside is funding all of this and um you know i'm putting lives in danger i'm trying to get to the point and laws have evolved over the years you know there was a time right before i started in law enforcement that you could shoot a fleeing felon in the back. Well, my gosh, I certainly don't agree with that. Right. But that's where the laws were. We, 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 we don't do that now. We don't shoot unless there's an active threat. Well, they're not to supposed to. Right. They're not supposed to. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I know. But, uh, but you know, there's like... I hear you. I, I hear you. Interaction with... We, we seem to always... Uh, we seem to always... Uh, and rightfully so, but when, when, when an officer goes bad and uh, uh, we, we seem to second-guess it, uh, you know, they're human beings trying to do a job. Um, the, the George Floyd thing, I, there's not a single officer I've ever met that they looked at that and went, what the hell happened right. here? Um, and we, we agree with that. But, and, you know, and Representative, I, I real eight. quick, uh, I, I'm trying, trying to interrupt you, but I didn't really hear this earlier, uh, but I think you shared that your daughter – um, had passed away as a result of a, a drunk driving accident. Is that correct? And, yeah, and I just want to express so, uh, my condolences because, you know, that sh- no parent should ever have to bury their child. And I didn't want you to think that, you know, we were glossing over that. Uh, it was just kind of hard to hear as we were getting this interview going. But I, I do want to express well, sympathy. Thank you. I, I rarely ever bring it up. But uh, it was uh, – she was uh, – 31 years old. She was a wow. school teacher and head wow. coach at high school and uh, an individual who um, um, obviously uh, had previous records of DUIs and arrest and uh, hmm. um, hit her. And, um, and um, my other children are having a, memor- a, a fundraiser today. We do scholarships and uh, we'll be having a fundraiser starting this afternoon. But, uh, yes, yeah, so, you know, people out here have to be held accountable. I'm, I'm, I mean that sincerely. I, uh, I'm born in Alabama, raised in inner city of Chicago. My dad was a cab driver, and he was also killed in 1979 by an impaired mm-hmm. driver. And I feared that the rest of my whole life, and I fear it now. So th- right. there's a lot of issues out here. My concern is innocent people dying, and that includes protesters. Uh, I truly, honestly believe that the hardest part of this thing is being labeled um, a racist, uh, undercover for 31 years, and I, I'm not going to let that steer me from my uh, concern for uh, people and working in the city. I worked 31 years there. Check my history. I went up through the ranks. I've never been accused of excessive force or discourteous behavior. Don't pat me on the back because most 90-something percent of cops are like that. And uh, I have built relationships that are very diverse, but I just never seen what I seen in Birmingham in my life. And when people and, and I've got the facts on it, this is not something I'm making up. If we truly do have an issue that needs to be raised, and I truly believe in the First Amendment and protest uh, to, to raise those concerns. But there's groups coming in that cannot give a damn about that. And uh, coming in and hijacking whatever cause it is, it could be uh, a Black Lives Matter today, it could be another cause tomorrow. We've never seen this before, and I'm trying to bring attention to it. I'm trying to address it. And uh, it is very difficult. Uh, I don't want to suppress anybody's First Amendment rights, but I do want to grab the guy that's setting the fire in the building. I do want to grab the guy that's throwing the brick, girl that's bashed in your head as a protester or someone else's or a public sure. safety. I do, I do want to grab that person and I do want that person to um, deal with severe consequences. 
and stiffer penalties because, yes, a lot of these laws are on the books. There's a couple on there that are not, the aiding and abetting and who's funding this. If somebody's coming into a town taking your calls over. Yeah, well, that, that's a good – that that's a good transition, I think, um, because there are two more. We've only got ten more minutes left on the radio. You've been very generous with your time. We appreciate that. Um, there there are two more bits of the bill that that I wanted to get to before before we wrapped, um, and that is the 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 bit about you know you talked about and yet you, you know you you said that we've never seen that before, but of course we have seen um, in, in almost every protest movement we do hear talk um, you know from from the authorities about uh, outside agitators and things like this um you know so it's not i don't know that it's as uncommon as, as you think but in, in the bill from from for reading straight from the bill you say that a person commits the crime of inciting to riot if he or she commands solicit incites funds urges or otherwise aids and abets another person in, in uh, a riot or aggravated riot blah 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 30 days and it seems to me i donated i donated to bail funds personally because I felt like uh, I felt like a lot of people were being arrested, um, being arrested improperly, um, including here in Huntsville. I donated to the Huntsville Bail Fund, and I'm proud to say that I did, uh, because I, I I know some of the people that were arrested, and I believe that they were arrested unlawfully, uh, and and their charges were dropped because I think I think that they were bogus. Um, that it seems to me that this would put me in prison for 30 days. It, it seems to me that I would have a mandatory holding time before conviction of 24 hours and that I would be put in some of the most dangerous prisons in the country for 30 days. I would lose my job. I would lose my house. I would lose, you know, children if I had them. How do you how do you justify that when people I believe people have a right to, you know, to to pay people's bail if they want? You know, I, I think that's I, I think that we have a right to do that. What what would you say to that? Well, I would say you're reading into that definition totally wrong. That has to do with folks are aiding and abetting, folks that are burning and looting stores. The, you know, the books, the law books are, are uh, have all kinds of definitions in there. And that's why we have the greatest system in the world. And, and you know, we have to have folks on the front line. We have to have folks complying with the law. Uh, and if they don't, they go into the system. And, yeah, you have your court system. You have uh, your judges, your juries. Uh, and and you got to trust the system. It's the best system in the world. You cannot have complete lawlessness. You cannot have when you have curfews and things. We are very lenient about a lot of these things. I've worked these front lines and we don't make these arrests. But once it breaks out and you start looting and yes, then we have to use every tool, whether it's the curfew or the or the lawful order to disperse to leave. Now, um, you know, are we all going to agree on everything? You know, listen, I'm coming from a different perspective. You know, I've worked 31 years in law enforcement. Uh, um, and uh, what I'm seeing today and what's happening to that profession, we're all going to pay for that. And I promise you everything's secular. It will get worse in our society. You trust me. You're young enough to live long enough. You're going to watch it get much worse. But it will get better because they will be good people will stand up and say enough's enough. Uh, we cannot have groups coming in hell-bent on destruction. We have to have laws on the books, and we have to give, where we probably disagree, we have to give this latitude, this discretion to our law enforcement officers. We have to train them. But specifically about, I mean, specifically about the funding. I mentioned that I gave money to, to bail people out of prison. I think that you could 
not unreasonably under this definition say that I'm funding a riot. Do you believe that I would be put? Do do you believe that it would be right for me to be thrown in a cage for thirty days? No, absolutely not. That's your right to do that. And and, and and there's no officer I know would take a charge like that to a DA or a DA that would give you a warrant on that. We're talking about who's paying for the, 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 the incendiary devices and the bricks and the sledgehammers. Who's funding that? Who's who who is who is sending people to the state? And it, you know, it's, it's a it's a high bar. But if you can prove that you're sending them in uh, from out of state. They're paying for their hotel rooms, paying for their incinerator devices and gasoline and go back and prove that it was intentionally done to set these buildings on fire. Hell, yeah, you ought to go to jail. And, uh, um, you know, there's got to be a line, guys. And uh, I'm willing to stay open to working on the bill. Mm -hmm. I'm still open to it. I'm willing to work with anybody that I can. Or we can sit and argue this all day long, and people can come into our cities, and they they can be lost to life. Because I tell you something, the fire department uh, time they got in and got those fires out, uh, you know, uh, and we got those buildings vacated. If it wasn't for the water suppression systems in those mm-hmm. buildings, some older buildings would have went down. And uh, yeah, it's and, it's and that's uh, the only thing. you know. So there is a serious situation here that we truly cannot cannot ignore. And I knew. When I retired, I even told the mayor and I told my children that I'm going to be under attack. And I said, but I have to be bringing this discussion to the legislature. I have to bring it. I had 31 years. I always intended to retire at 30. But after my wife passed, my kids promised I said, I'll work one more year, Dad. I did one more year. But I had to leave because I knew to bring this bill, it was not fair to my city. It was not fair to the Birmingham Police Department to have activists protesting police headquarters, which would have happened. So this was this was something that's very dear to me. And 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 we'll continue this dialogue. I appreciate your guys you guys invite because mm-hmm. I want to talk to everybody yeah. about it. And yeah. I just want to see where that medium yeah. is. And and yeah. sometimes, you know, I don't know where it's at, but I'm willing mm-hmm. to work. And yeah, and and I, I appreciate that. The last thing that I wanted to ask and then and then we'll wrap up again, appreciate you you're taking your time, was the assault on a first responder. That includes a um, that that includes a uh, causing or attempt to causing a first responder to come into contact with bodily fluids, and and it defined bodily fluids including saliva, and and that comes with a six month a six month prison sentence, and and you know look like I've been spat on personally, it it's not fun. I you know I I wouldn't recommend it for people <laughs> being spat on and I wouldn't recommend people do that. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's okay, but uh I also I also wouldn't want to th- you know throw the person who spat on me in a cage for 6 months. Uh you know so what what's your response to that? So you're looking at a definition uh, that's that, that 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 has other things involved in it. It's it not does, just it does. not that. My 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 question to you is this. Don't spit in my face when I'm out there trying to keep peace. Sure, don't no, throw, I'm not. Uh, throw, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, and I wouldn't advocate people do it. But I also don't think people don't should throw, be thrown in jail for half a year. Uh, no, well, don't throw feces on me. And don't don't take your umbrellas and, and, and tape nails to the end of them. You notice these protests around the country don't use horses. Their horses are really good crowd control, but they don't use them because they're taping na- nails on them. Not the locals. But the same type of groups that are coming in and they're they're puncturing these uh, uh, dogs and horses. And mm-hmm. that's why you have them included because people want to go, 
you know, why you got a horse in here getting assaulted? Right, right. So really quick, though, like like two more minutes. No comment on throwing people in prison for six months for spitting on cops. Yeah, sure. I think that that you're looking at a definition includes other violations. It does. Yeah, there. But listen, my 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 to my kids. Could be in compliance, come home safe, and don't spit in the officer's face. Definitely. And guess what? You don't, don't do sit that. you don't sit in a jail. Sure. So it's you think simple. people I, should go in jail for six months if they spit on cops? I think you're I think you're reading into the de- another definition that nobody's gonna stay six months. No, I don't believe anybody to answer your question okay. would stay in jail for six months for for just merely spitting on somebody. Mm-hmm. No. But do I think they should be held accountable for that conduct, just like I would hold somebody accountable for spitting in your face if I saw it, would be arrested? Uh, Representative Treadaway, we do appreciate your time. You've been very generous. Um, thank you for thank you for jumping on, and uh, thank you for, for the opportunity to speak. We, we do appreciate it. Sure. I appreciate you guys and what you're doing. And, uh, hey, listen, call me anytime, and hopefully we'll, the bill will evolve, and uh, we'll see where it goes ultimately. We will, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you much. Uh, so, yeah, we've been speaking to Representative Treadaway. We are just about to uh, to wrap up here on the radio. Uh, you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. And if you want to continue listening to the program, we do continue for another hour and a half online. It's going to be fun. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. And we will see you next week. Wait,